There was a man who had two sons. On this fourth Sunday in Lent, the image here before us uh, depicts Jesus' parable in that gospel lesson for today. It's often referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. I believe it is misnamed. Uh, the focus is not on either the younger prodigal son, nor is the focus upon the older angry son. The focus, rather, is on the forgiving father who is central to Jesus' parable. So the image here before us is from a monumental painting by Rembrandt. Uh, done shortly before his death in the year 1669. Uh, the original now hangs in the Hermitage, that enormous museum in St. Petersburg, Russia. It is larger than life, some eight feet high by six feet wide. It is on my bucket list to see at some point in my life, but for now, I have a print in my office. I know you may not be able to see this as well. Go out into the narthex after the service. There on the credenzas out in the narthex is this framed print. You can get a better look at it. It's a reminder to me of the message of Jesus' parable here, the good news of Jesus and what that is all about and for whom it is intended. Those who have wandered far from home, who have spent their inheritance in reckless living, but it is also for those who have outwardly done the right thing, the honorable thing, but whose hearts are filled with resentment and anger. The question we must ask ourselves is this, who am I in this parable? Luke 15, you see, is a trilogy on lostness as Jesus tells three parables, one after the other. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost sons. That's right, it's plural. Both sons are lost. One, obviously, outwardly, everybody can see it, everybody knows it. But the other son is lost just as much. But it's inwardly, it's secretly, nobody but him knows about it. The focus of this marvelous story of grace and redemption is upon the forgiving Father who reaches out to both of his lost sons, welcoming both of them home again. And the wonderful news is that the sons have a home to go home to. And so do we. And the message then for this day is entitled, Prodigal Son, parentheses, Sons, or Forgiving Father. May the Lord's rich and abundant blessing rest upon the preaching and the hearing and the living of his word for Jesus' sake. There is much about this parable that is rooted in Middle Eastern 
customs and culture and mores, and unless we understand something about this, we really will not fully understand what the parable is all about either. Scholar and author Kenneth E. Bailey, in his book, Poet and Peasant, and through peasant eyes, subtitled, A Literary Cultural Approach to the Parables in Luke, is very helpful. In fact, I would say spectacularly helpful in understanding all of this. He spent some decades of his life in the Middle East tracking down the context, the setting of Jesus' parables. And so the younger son's request from his dear old dad about wanting his inheritance now, well, that may strike us as odd, strange, but it's not the end of the world. But listen to how this request is understood from a Middle Eastern perspective, as Kenneth Bailey tells it. For over 15 years, I've been asking people of all walks of life, from Morocco to India, and from Turkey to the Sudan, about the implication of a son's request for his inheritance while the father is still living. The answer has always been emphatically the same. The conversation runs as follows. Has anyone ever made such a request in your village? Never! Could anyone ever make such a request? Impossible. Well, if anyone ever did, what would happen? His father would beat him, of course. Well, why? The request means he wants his father to die. So with this request, the son has shamed his father. And that is a huge deal in many parts of the world today, including the Middle East, which operate on an honor-shame dynamic, different than the guilt-forgiveness dynamic that we operate on here in the West. Honor and shame involve the whole community, not just the individual. So in the parable, then, the father unbelievably grants his son's request and in order to do this he surely had to liquidate assets which would have been tied up in things like livestock, property, farmland and there would have been real implications for the rest of the village who would have felt the pinch of trickle-down economics as things tightened for them. Getting what he wants, or what he thinks he wants, the son then goes somewhere off, far away, to live the life he thinks he wants. We're told he squandered his property in reckless living. We can figure out pretty fast what that looked like. And at the end, he's got friends, as long as he's got money, but when the money runs out, everything comes to a screeching halt. He's reduced to almost subhuman status, near starvation, and doing the most degrading thing imaginable for a Hebrew, 
feeding the pigs. And then, suddenly the light dawns. He can go home. He can go home, but the way home is very uncertain. He shamed his father. He's brought dishonor on his family and upon the entire village. Would his father even receive him? Would his father turn him away? But as we know, when there's nowhere else to go, you go home. So maybe this is your story. Wandering far from home. Blowing your inheritance in reckless living. Estranged from loved ones. It's a hard place to be. The son does go home. And all the way home, he rehearses what he's going to say, right? His confession, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. We can just see him fine-tuning this as he wends his way back home. But here's the thing. The son here has worked out a way to save face in order that he can re-enter village life as a hired servant, not a son of the family. He's not looking for that. He's not expecting that he'll be received back into the family. But if he becomes a hired servant, he will still be a free man and he will not be under the thumb of his older brother who will inherit the whole estate. Plus, if he can make some money, he can begin paying back his father what he should. So the son here is operating from a mindset that was prominent in rabbinical teaching at the time, which held that repentance was primarily a work of man, and it included reparations, payments for sin, and it was these payments that gained God's favor and forgiveness. Well, all of that flies out the window when the son comes home. Again, we might not think it's such a big deal that the father ran out to embrace him and kissed him. It is a big deal in the Middle East. The father deliberately humiliated himself by running out to his son in the Middle East. A nobleman in flowing robes doesn't run anywhere. This man does, and he does it to protect his son from the hostile people of the village who, seeing him come in, will descend upon him like a pack of wolves, beat him up if they don't actually kill him. The father does all of this because he felt compassion. That word compassion, we often think, is a heartfelt emotion. I think the ancients got it right. It's not here in the heart. It's down here in your gut. He had a gut reaction in the pit of his stomach. 
seeing his son come down the road again. The father's compassion for his wayward son moved him to risk humiliation and disgrace. The father who was shamed by his son is now willing to shame himself in order to rescue his son. And the son's rehearsed confession, it doesn't even get a response. And the father will hear none of this of, let me be a hired servant. The father sets immediately to work, restoring his son to the family. He calls for the best robe. Who's going to have the best robe except the father? And it will be reserved for special grand occasions worn only by the father. Put a ring on his finger, not just any ring, the signet ring to seal official documents. Put shoes on his feet because only servants go barefoot. And ordering the fattened calf to be served up, the father said, let's get this party started. And so it is because the father has accepted his son back again. The villagers have to do the same even if they don't want to. Rembrandt's painting here depicts what happened when the son got home. Look at it. You can see how light is important here in this painting and all of Rembrandt's work, in fact. There's a big pool of light over on the left between the father and the son, but there's another pool of light over on the right-hand side. That's where the older son is. That's him over there on the right-hand side. He's surprised. He's angry about what's taking place here. And between these two pools of light is this field of darkness. And that darkness has to be dealt with. The older son, he's distant, he's removed from this homecoming. He can't participate in it because his heart is not in it. The younger son shamed and insulted his father, but now the older son is doing the very same thing by refusing to come into the celebration again Middle Eastern protocol is vital to understanding how important this is. The oldest son was the master of ceremonies, the one who ensured that the food was plentiful, the wine was flowing, that guests were comfortable, they had what they needed, ordering the servants around, making sure everything was going as it should. He was to be his father's representative but he is not there. And so, because the older son will not come into the feast, the family rift has now been exposed for everybody to see. And so the father, again, risks shame and disgrace by leaving the celebration to go out to his older and very angry son. But who is the older son angry with? His younger brother? 
Not so much. He's angry with his father. Listen, look, all of these years I've served you, I never disobeyed your command. You never even gave me a young goat that I could have a cookout with my friends. And now when this son of yours comes, it's not my brother, he may be your son, but he's not my brother. When he comes, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed for him the fatted calf. What that older son is really saying is, you love him more than you love me. And maybe this is your story. Dutifully serving you're the faithful one, the diligent one, that older son, that older daughter. You suck it up and you take care of what needs to be taken care of even when nobody else will do it. But after a while you get tired of that because nobody appreciates what you're doing. And it hurts. It is a hard place to be. You will note that the parable is left unresolved. Does the older son come in and join the celebration? Are the two brothers reconciled? What happens? The ending of the parable remains to be lived out in each of our lives. The forgiving father reaches out to both of his sons who are lost, just as our heavenly father reaches out to us. No matter where we have been, no matter what we have done, whether we are that younger prodigal son or the older angry son, the good news is that our father comes to us to meet us where we are, to tell us how much we are loved and to rescue us. Our Father is willing to risk what is most precious to him, the life of his own Son, to do this. You see, Jesus is that other Son who was fully obedient to the Father's will. He took upon himself all of our sins of wayward, reckless disobedience, as well as all of our sins of pent-up anger and resentment to cut off that bitter root that has grown within us. He gave his life that we might now come into the Father's feast. As Paul tells us in that epistle lesson for today, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become 
the righteousness of God. Let us go forth then that we may live out the conclusion of this parable as the Father's sons and daughters. Amen.